Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the first Friday night episode of Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio. And I'm pleased that my first guest on a Friday night is Nicole Gillespie. She's an poet and author (laughs) based in Kansas City, Missouri. (laughs) She's the proud author of Transparent Moments and Mirror's Reflections. She's won the People's Choice Award for Best Author in her city, and her books have received five-star ratings on Amazon's. She has appeared in magazines, made speaking engagements, and on YouTube. She is making her second appearance on the podcast. Everyone, help me welcome Nicole back to the podcast. Hello, Nicole. Yes. Hello. Thank you for having me, um, <laughs> Dr. Dr. Yes. I got to do a blink real, real quick. I know. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're with me, too. Let's begin this poetic journey so that people can hear your voice. You know, what I'd like to know, Nicole, is what do you think makes poets different from other people? Because they're so transparent and open. Tell me more. I, I I think it's because they're not scared to express their soul and their spirit. Nowadays, people are more surface deep. They want to make it like everything is okay. When th- it is, and it's okay that everything is not okay. And I think poor speak what other people are afraid to say mm. or feel. Mm. Yes. Yes, sir. So, what, yeah, that's uh, what I think. That Yes. Okay. So what do you think makes your work, your poetry, different from other poets? Well, what makes it different because, first of all, I'm going to say because I'm Christian and I'm not scared mm. to put the struggles of being a Christian because there's a such thing as, you know, being weak and being strong and tribulations. And I'm, I'm not scared to put that out there as a Christian poet. I always tell people my poetry is not church as usual. It's very open and provoking. It's just truth-telling. Truth-telling, open and provoking. Now, how did you find your voice to become a poet? How did I find my voice? Mm-hmm. It just, I, I became a, a poet because I thought I didn't have a voice. Okay. Tell me so more. So I, I, I began to start writing because I didn't think other people heard me. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. so, and when I put it on paper, it's, like I told you a while before when I first was on your show before, I used to write love letters to my mom because I knew she could not only feel it, but she can read it and hear it when she read it. So I, that's how I learned that, you know, by putting it down on paper. Because I think when people read it, when they read it first, they can it grabs their attention. 
And then I can speak. You get what I'm saying? Yes. If that makes sense. It does make sense. So you were on a quest and or a journey to find your voice, and poetry somehow became the vehicle for that. Am I correct? Yes, the vehicle, exactly. Because it made me a little bit more confident, especially on this author journey. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of people that know me, except for my family, I'm kind of loud and uh, laquivious around my family. But when I'm around other people, I kind of can, I kind of withdraw. But when I became a poet and people began to start reading my poetry and liking it, I felt, oh, I got a voice now. People hear wow. me. They understand me. They get mm-hmm. me. So it opened mm-hmm. me up more not just to my little inner circle, but to other people. And they can see, I, I got something to say, too. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I'm here. Here I am, y'all. <laughs> well, you know, in that regard, our stories are the same because I started the exact same way. I didn't start until I was in my mid-30s, and uh, whatever needed to come out came out in a poetic way. And that's how I claim my voice through the power of poetry. So I do understand. Yeah. All right, Nicole, please share some of your work. I think I want to share this, the first one. This one is called um, Pass Me By. This is when I was in the stages of being, like, really, really shy and scared of platforms, and I wrote it down. It says, I like to stand still and not be seen while others pass me by. Backgrounds are so inviting to me. It's like a shade tree that shelters you from the sun that gives you just enough relief from the scorching of the heat. Platforms are scary. They look so loud, so much glitter, numbered by eyeballs and mouths. They remind me of full moons that summons the dead from their sleep. I like to stand still and not be seen under the shade tree so I won't feel the heat while the sun is passing me by. Finish. All right. You know, I'm wondering, if you could have lived in another era, another time, when would you have wanted to live? Maybe you wanted to live in this period of time. Is there any period of time you'd like to have lived in and shared your poetry? Um, I, I guess, let's say, I hope I'm getting this word right, pre-interbellum sure. stage. Yes, pre-interbellum stage, yes. I Why? think I probably would have been very, very vocal. First of all, I, wrote, I read Sojourner's Truth, which kind of, when I was younger, would kind of pull mm-hmm. me there. You know okay. what I'm saying? Because she was revolutionary. Yes. She she loved her people. She wanted freedom and equality. You know what I'm saying? It, it was mm-hmm. it, it was just to be treated as a human. So mm-hmm. I always said if I was back then, like I discussed before, you know, I think I will be very vocal. Because although I'm quiet, I'm a fire too as well. Okay. Okay. Please share some more of your work. Yeah. So I have, I've been going on a journey about um, generational curses and breaking generational curses. And I wrote this poem. It's called Your Daddy and Mama Them. And it just made me dig kind of deep. It's called, I'm going to start, disconnecting me from what I thought was myself hurts. However, it hurts more being me or what I thought was me. I am who my father and mother are. They are who their father and mother were. The thought of being them scares me. I mirror my mom's codependency. I'm a foster like my dad, 
either I'm hot or cold, no in-betweens. I build walls to protect me. I need need to need me. I won't want to want me. I hide so others can seek me. Then when found, I hide again. Insecurities rule me. For some strange, bad, or good reason, I'm confused. This should not be me, yet this is what I'm used to. It feels normal, yet invasive, and so abrasive, so uncomfortable. Like I'm wearing forced hand-me-downs that's persuasive, beyond wore out. However, they're family heirlooms, so native I can't replace it, making me feel so evasive. It started to be toxic, for real, y'all, psychotropic. But now that I'm self-aware, forget them traits of my daddy and mama them. I'm tired of thinking, walking, and talking as them, so damn repetitive, yet still ending up in the exact same place at the exact same time, naming and proclaiming at my grandma's house, praying for change. Forget them generational curses, generational cycles. I'm tired of lack, slack, and fallbacks and just enough to get by, low self-esteem, broken dreams, and sexual compromise, abuse and misuse, living normal in dysfunction. I'm going to be the black sheep that break every chain so we can rightly function. I am who my father and mother are. They are who their father and mother were. The thought of being them scares me. The end. Wow. Hello. Yes. Yeah. I'm just listening. Yeah, I had. Yeah, I I sat Talk. back and thought about it one day. Okay. And I was like, mm-hmm. you be in, you be in continuous cycles, and you see with your mom and your father. It's not it's not about how your mom cook. Of course, you want to cook like your mom, and you want to have facial features like your dad. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about them them hidden character flawed character traits. This. That's not so good character trait. Well, I believe that people parent like they were parented. Pretty much what you were saying. The generational curse. Because sometimes you don't know any different unless you make a conscious choice to make a change. Yes. It's a conscious choice to make a change. It is. It is. I tell a lot of people, like, we function, we didn't make dysfunction a norm. But until you come to the end of yourself and your family, then that's when you'll wake up. It's like you have an awakening, like, hold up. This is not what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. It's like a culture within a culture, if you get it. Yes, I do. I look around. I look around sometimes, and I tell people, y'all make culture about skin color. No, it's not about skin color. It's a culture. It's a mindset. This new culture of our young people nowadays, black, white, Asian, Mexican, whatever, same behaviors, not good behaviors. It's a culture. And in our families, we create a culture. You get what I'm saying? Yes, I do. That's why I wow. came up with, you know, yeah. A very powerful piece. Very, very powerful. And, Continue sharing. Yeah. Share, two, share two, three at a time. Okay, I will. I love this one. It's called The Black Woman Blues. <laughs> nobody, nobody really care to indulge in our woes. They just judge the residue of our past that has molded our existence of today, never caring enough to ask. While we trade our aprons for steel-toed boots, 
or why our soft voices of praise is filled with so much rage loudly, or why we exchange our homes for houses where attention-starved kids are raised. Who else is going to grind for a house with no roof? We the mammies, that's who. So they at least can have a place to lay. It's bittersweet. Yes, it's the truth. Misunderstood, the black woman blues stripped, left alone, names confused, family exchanged, and men removed. Foundation compromised. Today is a reflection of yesterday, except without change, just more deprived. It's changed changed now on the mind, soul, our woes, the black woman blues, just ask before judging. I got another poem that kind of, it's called The Elephant in the Room. I made this one up for black history. All right. And I really enjoyed this poem. I had it right in my face. I'm so sorry. Shia, you're supposed to be helping me out. Well, I'm going to go with another form. I'm so sorry about that. No problem. This is called uh, Narcissistic Entanglement, Low Motion, as we chat and chew. Talking while the phone is on hold, as we are face-to-face. Sleeping in bed while the door is still cracked open, all cuddled up. Comfortable. Comfortably here while they're absent but present, yet you are still here. So I define your absence present as hope because I'm a hopeless romantic that gets off on a little bit of hope. But really, I'm a fool. I crave your touch, although we are out of touch. I have become your foe instead of your lover because because I'm not the other. So you just string me along. I mean, you drag me along by chain and ball, punish me for being guilty by association woman and not the other woman. You torment me because your defector has tortured you. You manipulate me with arms wide open so that I can run into them, only to squeeze the life out of me with an actual warm embrace. You're no longer the victim, but the victimizer. Your lasciviousness is ignited by your need to break me down because you're broken. You stare me in the eyes as you get off passionately while watching my heart through my eyes crumble in pieces without even touching me a relationship that I had and I was like, This is this is so narcissistic. But I mm-hmm. wanna go back to I found the uh black history poem and I wanna right. explain why I wrote this poem. I wrote the uh this black history poem, The Elephant in the Room, because for years from as long as I can remember when black history would come around, even Martin Luther King's birthday, you would always get these kind of uncomfortable indirect um indirect comments and different things like that and it would it would kind of tick me off because i'm like i'm i'm american and we have we all have to dwell here together so i don't want to ramble on i'm just going to go on into the poem i'm so sick and tired of the elephant in this month the audacity of some vindictive gestures and biased pungent language that shows entitlement like a proud antebellum connoisseur that adheres to the belief of the misunderstood and misinterpreted three-fifths compromise, speaking constitutionally wise. I am absolutely 100% human. 
This has me watching my back. Because why is it so uncomfortable and confrontational that our story has history being honored and acknowledged that echoes throughout this young but old world? Marches on Washington, sit-ins, boycotts, freedom rides, anointed spiritual hymns, with hands locked, heads bowed, 1964, 11 titles, black pride, even hangers and slangings, mothers and fathers full of anguish because graffiti became the art sprayed on street trees, leaves, and walls made from their seized blood without, without root, no reaping. Even decorum, mercy, and hangings that made mothers and fathers childish, separating the civil cords from their souls that created one flesh, so pain became protest and conquest. This month is well deserving of I Am Black and Proud moment that was formed, fashioned, developed, and made from borders and trades of ebony spirits and black flesh, the root of all evils from dead presidents type mess that provoked and summoned the spirit of great tribal warriors that was birthed across distant shores that made it to America front front and back doors. So the plight of fight be, so the plight of fight began for equality and human dignity and so and so much more. The very day the Atlantic slave trade happened that crossed both Atlantic and Pacific shores. So that's when our patriarchs start building bridges over troubled waters that some of our ancestors found in drowning, refusing to be anyone's prized possession of inhumane labor and a good house nigga without dignity or pride. So, yes, I'm tired of the elephant in this month. We, the black people, absolutely deserve national month, day, month, year, year and month set aside for all the things we've been through and came through. History, history doesn't lie. It's all about our black pride. Y'all have y'all months too. I cannot stand this damn lingering elephant in this room. And I really love this poem because it's just it's in the year two thousand and twenty three people mm-hmm. are still feeling some type of way of us celebrating. And we celebrate many different holidays that has nothing to do with black people. Right. And we take it to the team and we mm-hmm. create it. We make it traditional for us about celebration of love and family and growth. So mm-hmm. it, that's why I wrote that. Well, like, why is the elephant here? Why? It don't need to be. It don't have to be. We all have to dwell. Like Marlon yes. said, we all have to live together. We've got to live together. I agree with that. And right now, there's so much happening. So much happening. You know, I talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, as well as the indifferent. And I think I asked you this question the last time. What should our role be in society as poets? I want to hear your voice again on this. What, what, sh- what should the role of a poet be in society? To raise our voices to to ignite people to open up their consciousness. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know to bring the divided line together or separate it. It can mm-hmm. either go either way. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's so much. People to rise up and um, accept life. I'm not just talking about um, a, the black and white. I'm talking about love, peace, unity, family life, education, all of that. Our mm-hmm. voices to open people to that, if that makes sense. It does. 
But people are afraid to lift up their voices because they don't know what's going to happen, Nicole. How do you work with that? How do you work with that? I didn't run into instances like that before mm-hmm. where you you get tired and you 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 speak up and you think others like your kind will speak up, but they find themselves getting upset with you because you rock the boat. So, and you know, if you do rock the boat, it causes things to be uncomfortable. And some yes. people don't like to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. and they pull away. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard. Because you feel like you you the voice by yourself, and you mm-hmm. and you taking all the backlash by yourself. And I think sometimes the blow will be better if you have other people standing with you. It wouldn't hurt so much, or it wouldn't drain you so much because somebody's there to help you to put back into you because they're there with you. They're speaking mm-hmm. with you. They're standing with you. But that's not always the case. No, Majority of the time, that's not always the case. Who are some of the writers, thinkers, readers, human beings who inspire or inspire you in your writing? One one big person, I'm not trying to make this about black power at all, but Martin Luther King, I love that man. Yeah. I love him. I do too. And now that you you even have your own kind speaking against it, I, I tell people like that he... He's a patriarch, y'all, and he was nonviolent. He didn't only speak. He he was faith without works is dead. He had works. Mm-hmm. He was not scared to get spit on, put in jail, and different things. He walked the walk and talked the talk. So he is an inspiration to me for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Martin Luther King is one of them. Yeah. Yes, he's still and, my hero. Still my hero. Yes. Yeah. He and my dad. Still my hero. Yes. Please share some more of your work. Yes. Oh, I know I'm jumping around with these poems. This is a poem. It's called What I Want Versus What I What I Want Versus What I Don't Want. Now this one is kind of um uh kind of deep and it's triggering. Uh, well, it's talking yeah, it could be triggering to some women. So okay. I'm gonna go ahead on and say it. Yes, appreciate. I don't wanna, I don't wanna look like sex, smell like sex, or even taste like sex. I wanna look like commitment, smell like life, and taste like love. I don't wanna idolize Sodellos and outfits that expose secrets about what that gap do and big booties that clap. I wanna look like commitment and not a community treat. I want to smell like life and not the dead hidden in expensive perfumes. I want to taste like love that satisfies, that keep you eating manna from the third heaven pearly gate floor. I want to touch and feel for what is for real and nothing more. Destroying the illusion of a love and hip-hop type lifestyle, love lost in a complicated love story, sex ruining its real fragrance. I want to taste like love without lasciviousness, diluting it. I want to separate the negative from the positive by reversing the curse of a confused indulgence outside of the will of God. No, I don't want to look like sex or smell like sex or even taste like sex. Yes, I want to look like commitment, smell like life, and taste like love. Sometimes I feel like we forget. Everything is so sexualized nowadays. 
And I'd like I'd like you to read that one again and a little bit louder yes. so the people in the back can hear it. Yes, sir. I don't want to look like sex, smell like sex, or even taste like sex. I want to look like commitment, smell like life, and taste like love. I don't want to idolize stilettos and outfits that expose the secrets about what that gap do and big booties that clap. I want to look like commitment and not a community treat. I want to smell like life and not the dead hidden and expensive perfumes. I want to taste like love that satisfies, that keeps you eating manna from the third heaven's pearly great floors. I want to touch and feel for what is for real and nothing more. Destroying the illusion of a love and hip-hop type lifestyle lost in a complicated love story. I want to smell like intimacy without sex ruining its real fragrance. I want to taste like love without lasciviousness, diluteness. I want to separate the negative from the positive by reversing the curse of a confused indulgence outside of the will of God. No, I don't want to look like sex or smell like sex or even taste like sex. Yes, I want to look like commitment, smell like life, and taste like love. Right. Have, you shared that, <laughs> have you shared that piece publicly? Um, on my Facebook page and on my YouTube, I'm kind of coming out being shy to get on stage. Although last year I spoke before 750 people, and wow. it was a beautiful experience, and I loved it. And God really what? used me, and I got a standing ovation. All so right. now I'm... Well, what did you love about it? Break it down for us. What did you love about that experience? I want to know. Because it, it, just walking up on the stage and being heard, it wasn't about the glamour and glitz. It okay. was about the message for me. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And people taking it, taking the message in, and you can you can you can tell that they took it in because how their eyes were looking and. It, it was quiet at first, but not mm-hmm. in an uncomfortable way, like bored way, but you could feel the energy in the room because they were listening to the message. And mm-hmm. then at the end, everybody got up and clapped. And oh. they walked over to me when I went back to my table later on. There was so many people coming up to me and speaking about the message of the poem. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So yes. that, that was an experience. And I, I was fearing what? I was scared of what? Mm. Well, the reason I asked, that's an extremely powerful poem, and I just wanted to know how it's been received by people, men and women. A lot of women love it. Me and some men, you know, you get a handful of trinkles, me, you know, y'all kind of um, prideful when it comes to stuff like that, but some right. of men, I ain't for all men, but women come to me and say, oh, my God, yes, I love it. This is, you know, you say stuff that I, I want to say or how I'm feeling, you just put it out there. Mm-hmm. So I get a lot, especially in my inbox. People inbox wow. me on my Facebook page a lot. And I just keep it because, you know, my, my poems is open and raw. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. some people don't want to expose their stuff like that. So I just keep it to myself and, and like, to God be the glory. Now, are you performing the pieces on YouTube and sharing them, or just is primarily written yes. work that you post on Facebook? I perform. Um, I do videos now on YouTube and on my Facebook page and on Instagram. Wow. wow. Yeah. Of all of your yeah. pieces? Not all of my pieces. Some of my pieces. I've been doing 
the stuff that's in my books, that's published books. Okay. And maybe once in a blue moon just to see how people are receptive to new poems. Mm-hmm. I might throw a piece out there just to see wow. if they'll like it before I put it in my book. Because I'm working on my third book. It's kicking my butt, but I'm working All on right. it. All right. I got a question. Is a yes, poem sir? letting your guard down or building a wall? Like I told you last time, it's both. A poem is <laughs> I've asked you, <laughs> I asked you that before. <laughs> yes, <sir>. I forgot. <laughs> I thought I was coming up with new stuff. <laughs> well, yeah. tell us again. Tell us again why it's both. I believe it's letting your guards down by expressing it mm-hmm. and building your walls around you by showing your strength to express it. You get what I'm saying? You get it yes. out. You take it in, then you put it back out again. So I think both create a balance because mm-hmm. both of them can be fearful. By letting the yes. wall down can be fearful, and by mm-hmm. building a wall up it be, can be fearful. But when you do both, it balances. Mm. Oh, right. yeah, I believe it's both. <laughs> Share some more of your work. <laughs> this one is called Karma. Uh, this one is called, it's really, really personal. It's about when um, I got divorced and I come, it, it was just not a good divorce. And we, it was not a happy thing. Well, I'll just go into the poem. It's called Karma. Foul and crafty, subtle in all your ways, conforming to your misperceived lies and believing and justifying your stubborn ways. Stubborn is as witchcraft and you practice it with your lips, vexing whoever get bound in your mysterious scripts, making others appear little so you can feel supreme. Your mouth is full of catastrophic blasphemes. Still to your heart is a sign that says, I'm bitter and mean, perplexed by your own hate, vexed by your own disguise, easily fooled by your own lies. This is leading to your own self-demise. This derived from a root of bitterness that has taken residence in your soul. An Oscar, not a Grammy, needs to be given for your performance that you played. This character is a victim, and this victim you have truly played. I always cry wolf so all eyes can be on you, but your day of reckoning will soon come. Then then and only then God will show who truly is a liar and a fool. And all your days of crying wolf will indeed turn on you. When you cry wolf, who will come? Karma is a real force to be reckoned with. Your lives will eventually catch up with you. Please pray that day, week and month and year is full of mercy and grace because little known, little required, much known, much required. You have judged yourself and set the scene for your own fate. The end. Wow. That was, I was just going through a heavy uh, separation, and it wasn't mm-hmm. a pretty one. You know, when you go through things, you kind of can lash out ugliness, and that's what it was, that what was going on. I had to write it out because I didn't want to mm-hmm. lash it out, so I wrote right. it out. Very nice. I like that. That is so important. So important. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Please share another. I want to hear some more. Share another. Yes, sir. I have this one. It's called Frenemy. I had experience with some people that I thought was my friends, and I wrote this poem called Frenemy. Their conversation is always outside of the realm of accountability. They use deflection as a form of release and indirect battling as a vice to make them feel like champions. Yes, gathering around 
gathering together around ditches they have dug, testing to see if the platform they have built over the ditch trap door works so their friend can fall in, always hyping each other up with mouths full of teeth that look like sharp knives that only works when stabbing through backs. Although dressed as conscience bearers, the neckness from their grayish souls is hanging out, allowing you to see just a glimpse million five layers. Some look like weasels and others look like snakes, but they all have red faces and green eyes and black tongues. Yet they yet they still use the flexion as a form of relief and indirect babbling as a vice to make them feel like champions. Trying their best to cover up the true intent of their hearts. Yeah. That one right there is kinda kinda deep to me because had some folks that I thought was my friends, and they wasn't. It was they were building platforms with trap doors, so your friends mm-hmm. were falling. Wow, it's yeah. a powerful statement. Yeah, I have another poem. I, I love this poem. It's called "The Year We All Wore Masks." Okay, this is talking about the beginning of COVID. I saw hearts of cold and smiles that felt cold. Also, I witnessed sheep wander around naked with no clothes on. I saw wolves stressed to impress where others were alone. I felt support in abundance. God allowed the heavens to open wide, but from folks I never supported. I witnessed, I witnessed bias, biases that came in all skin tones, honored and pranced around on microphones, while integrity felt set in the corner alone. I heard many wrongs called right and and many rights call wrong. I saw the young die old and the old die young in the year that we all wore masks. It just that at the beginning of that year, it was just and everything shut down. You know, you, you start seeing mm-hmm. people just the true colors of humanity, mm-hmm. and how many people died and what they thought was right and wrong, but uh, integrity was just sitting by itself. Where's the integrity at and things? So I wrote that one out. When you write, and I had asked a question in there somewhere, and I forgot what I said, but when you write, who leads, you or the poem? Me. Talk to me. It's because I am the poem. I am the experience. I'm the one mm. to walk through it. My eyes seen it. I didn't right. touch it, felt it, taste it. So, yeah, I'm the poem. So I can't separate it. I can't separate me from the poem. I'm the poem. You are the poem. Do you live your life like it's a poem? Sometimes I try to catch myself because I think I do. Because <laughs> I'm, so okay. I'm, I'm so metaphoric. Okay, give me more. How so? How I, I so? See I see everything in metaphors. Like, mm. that's why I speak in metaphors. Because that's how I see it. Because I think if a person can get the metaphor that you're speaking, they get they get you. They can read between the lines. You get what I'm saying? The deep side of you. Because okay. I don't think I'm just a surface deep type person. And I think it's a cursing and blessing for me. You know what I'm saying? So. Slavery is not always fair. Because mm-hmm. I see things deeper than. And I, at first I was running around talking about, oh, I'm an empath. No, I have discernment. I'm not. I don't want to. I'm spiritualism because I'm not. I'm a Christian. So I, it's just a discernment, the call on your life sometimes that you have. 
and you can feel. So hmm. that's kind of heavy. I, it is heavy. And I think I asked the question, do, are you writing for yourself or are you writing for others? It used to be me writing for myself. But then I realized that I'm not alone. So okay. that's when I put myself out there. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because the Bible says, like, iron sharper iron, men sharpen men. And that you te- you set free through your testimony. So once I get free, God, I'm commissioned to get other people free. You get what If that make a lot of sense. It does so make I, sense, I, yes. I, So I put me out there. So now it's not only about me. It's about other people, too. It's about grabbing them by the hand and saying, girl, I've been there. I've done that. Mm-hmm. You know, I walked that. I've been there. I've been hurt so bad before, you know, where I couldn't talk and I couldn't eat for days and different things. I didn't be in disobedient to God, and God has spanked me. You know what I'm saying? Because this is what the this is what the obedience looks like. See, I write about what the disobedience looks like. Mm-hmm. I'm not scared to be vulnerable. This one lady said to me, she's like, can't you, you know, you put yourself out there. You, you're so vulnerable. The way she said it kind of was like, I wouldn't do that, but that was the point. My writing mm-hmm. style is that's the point. If I get the word word right, the pathos, pathos type of writer, I learned that okay. it's a raw, emotional writer. They want to touch your emotions. They want to get emotion out of you. And I was mm-hmm. saying to myself, yeah, that's the point. That's the point to be vulnerable because it helps other people. You are different than you were when you were with me two years ago, three years ago. Nothing has changed. It was like, what is yeah. it? Confidence. I'm, Tell me I'm more about this conviction of, and confidence. Go ahead. Talk to me. I, I'm not scared of the voices or the eyes anymore. Okay. Because I know, you know, some I used to, like, really downplay myself because mm-hmm. you don't want to offend anybody. Sometimes when you have a gift or calling on your life, it makes other people uncomfortable. And I used to be a people pleaser. And I used to didn't want to make people uncomfortable because I didn't want to feel the rejection. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I wanted to make everybody happy, but it took life to make me understand you damned if you do and you damned if you don't. So I, I think I was doing God a, well, I can't do God an injustice. I was doing myself an injustice by not using my gift and calling for what it is and be very bold about it, not uh conceited, not stuck up, because I, I pray to God all the time to keep me humble, because yes. easy come and easy go. I don't want God to never take away from me what he He gifted me, and he thought I was able to handle, because it's heavy, and a lot of people don't get that, but it's, it's heavy, and I don't want well, to... I- well, I was going to say, I hear it in your voice. There's a, a different level of conviction when you speak now. Yes, sir. It's wonderful. I mean, it was there before as well, but it's taken on a different, it's going to a higher plane now somehow. And uh, I enjoy it. We've got a caller. Okay. Oh, boy. (laughs) All right. See, this person wants to speak. Area code 402. The first three numbers are 403. You're on the air with Nicole. Good evening. Hello. Good evening. Hello. Good evening. Good evening. Oh my God, this has been so enjoyable. I have so many questions. 
questions, but I know I can't have them answered (laughs) all. But I agree totally what you just spoke to her about her voice. It's different because I listened to the last interview you did with her, and there is so much, I want to use the word assurance in her voice now. Yes, I agree. I agree. (laughs) That's a great word. It's totally different. You put yourself out there and you're you're no you're an artist or you're an author or you're just a performer or singer or whatever you've got to be you you have to get to a place where fear cannot exist yeah exactly because fear is a killer mm-hmm. <laughs> because fear will take so many things away from you and Nicole, i hear it i have both your books and <laughs> i just i'm just like enjoying your readings tonight I watch your videos when you do them on Facebook, um, and I can tell because you, sometimes you're popping on in. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, she's back on here doing another one, where before <laughs> you weren't doing that. So I just want to tell you that I'm loving it, uh, and thank you, sir, for inviting her to come on your program and doing these interviews with her because that is such a blessing that I can come on and I can hear I can hear my cousin because she is my cousin. Even if she wasn't my cousin, I think she's fantastic. And just thank you for having her on your program. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I love well, you. I love you. I love you. Ask one more question. Ask one more question. You had a lot of them. Ask one more. Well, Ask I guess one more. you know what? I was, I was thinking as she was talking because, you know, there are so many young people that they're a lot of times unable to express themselves, and so they take to paper. And yeah. so what would you say to young people who sometimes can't verbalize what they're feeling, but they can do it on paper? How would you tell them? to be encouraged to write their emotions down and be be raw with it, be able to express what they can't speak from their mouth? Great question. Actually, I had a, a couple of experiences with a couple of young uh, people that um, I didn't run into, and I just told them to keep writing. I said I was so shy and scared. I've been writing forever since I was 11, maybe even before that. But I was I've been writing and uh and at the point in time like like I'm saying now I got a voice but I thank God that I kept my poetry and I just tell them all the time to keep writing keep writing be open as open as possible at my job it's this young lady I'm not gonna say her name and she's really young mm-hmm. and I love we always share poetry with each other and she is just straight open I always tell her keep it as real as possible. Whatever you feel, that's what you write. I said people are more um, drawn towards realness and what they can feel. And, yeah, and me and her, we share um, all the time. And it's other women well, that I yeah. have shared, young people that I share with. And, yeah, I tell okay. them keep writing. Don't stop. Keep writing. Save it. Put it up. Don't throw it away. Put it I up. throw some of my yeah. writing away. But, yeah. 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 Well, thank you. Well, thank you for allowing me to get online and speak to her and <laughs> Your program is great. 
<laughs> you, you're doing real good till you say you are a cousin. What? I'm never going to forget that. Hey. <laughs> yeah, see, hey, like, you wow. got you to back up your people. Yeah, you, you got to back, back up your people. That's true. Because <laughs> if you don't do it, who else will? That's true. <laughs> who else will? <laughs> Thank you. Well, you guys have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you. Same to you. Same to you. Okay. Nicole, we're going to take a brief break, and we'll be right back, all right? Okay. <laughs> okay. Michael Anthony Ingram. I am here with the one and only Nicole Gillespie. Hello, Nicole. Hey. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> hello. Please share some more of your work. <laughs> um, I love this poem. It's called Creature of Habit. Being a creature of habit in a minefield filled with rabbit holes is numbing, especially in a ritualistic contentment type way. I can never tell you how I made it here, but it seems but it seems that I always wake up right in the middle of the minefield, filled with rabbit holes confused with hard, tight hard behind my back. I used to wake up sweaty and fearful with racing heart. Now I just wake up like, dang, I'm here again. Sometimes I roll over and go back to sleep with one hand in one of the rabbit holes like it's a cookie jar, almost totally relaxed. Is more often now. It's almost comfortable, especially in a normalized, ritualistic type way. I wonder if I'm looking like the world now. I'm done. I wrote that poem because I just, you know, being a creature of habit in a minefield in danger with rabbit holes, just doing the same behavior over and over again. That's mm-hmm. insane. My mom's always saying, Nicole, you do the same thing over and over again. That's insanity. You you cannot do that. And it, it, it was talking about a relationship, about this guy that I would just, he was my kryptonite, and I would always find myself back in the same situation with him over and over again. And being a Christian, that's why at the end of it I said, I'm wondering if I'm looking like the world now because it was draining instead of it being fearful and 
everything will start being comfortable. I'll start getting lax in my skin. Yeah. So who, what, mo- what moves you to write a poem? A lot of times, I, I want to put I want to put this out like I'm the most goofiest person. I love to laugh. I'm such a good right. spirit. But I hurt kind of moves me to write. You know what I'm saying? Like pain moves me to write. That's why my writing is it, it's not always about love. It's just about life. Like when I wrote that poem, I I, I don't want to look like sex or taste like sex. I just look around and it hurts and grieves my heart to how you know. We, we as women, how we treat ourselves, because I know where that comes from. You know what I'm saying? Like, you want, you, being a people pleaser, you want to get attention, all the attention that you can find, and sometimes you compromise yourself with that situation. So, you know, my mm. wife is out, like I said, it's raw and heavy. So, you know, I'm led by hurt sometimes. And I well, ask you know, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, please continue. I'm sorry. I ask God sometimes, I say, Lord, when I'm going to be, I want to write about happy stuff. You know what I'm saying? I want to okay. write about, you know, I'm a happy person, but only time when I write is when it's heavy. The issues are heavy on me, like the elephant in the room or black woman blues or different things like that because it's getting heavy. But I think mm-hmm. being a a, poor, a, poor, a poet is probably, you're prophetic. Okay. And to be a, to be prophetic is, it's, it's a heavy thing because you have to you have to warn people even when it hurts. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Even the backlash. So yeah. So I think uh, the job of a, a poet sometimes, which is the characteristic of a poet, if you read in the Bible, or I mean, a prophet is poet. It's poetry. Well, I had wanted to ask you, and I couldn't remember whether I asked you this before. <laughs> If it hurt you to write poetry, I don't think I asked you that the last oh. time. Oh boy, sometimes it does. Sometimes it hurts me to look back at it. Okay. Okay. Like my books, my books sometimes, and I thank God that I did look at, at my books because I have to do some revision a lot of it. But mm-hmm. um, for a long a- after my books get published, I do not look at them at all. Period. Because oh. sometimes I just don't want to. Go back and look at it because sometimes it still hurts. If that makes sense, it does hurt. It does make sense. Now, has a poem you've written ever humbled or frightened you? Um, yeah, I think a lot of them frightens me sometimes, and um, yeah, a lot of them have humbled me. Can I read one of them? Yes, please. It's called broken, called broken Sacrifice. Each word written on paper, my tears have anointed, causing them to speak in an unknown tongue, bellowing, bellowing from the deepest waters of my soul, where God can only make out what's being said with precise clarity. It's a language that cannot be interpreted unless God has discerned you to do so. Yet this type of pressure is sacred that is the mother tongue, that that this mother tongue only belongs to God and him alone. Holiest of pleasures laid prostrating on the altar of affliction. He just cannot wait to eat contrite from his altar of brokenness. It is a food devoured by his Shekinah glory, purifying the ache in one soul. And that was kind of crazy that you said that because, yeah, that poem is 
that's that's a humbling form because through God through your brokenness sometimes God said He would never deny broken and contrite spirit, and that's that's kind of fearful sometimes. Do mm-hmm. I have to be broken for God to hear me? And I know He He hears me, but sometimes it's them times in life where you really really broken. Pleasure of that is the humbleness of that that God is there to eat it. It's a sacrifice that He loves because you can't depend on nobody but Him. He's the only healer can, that can heal that area of your life, that broken part of your life. So yeah, it's kind of crazy that you said that because this poem is called "Broken Sacrifice," and wow. I was there before. Yeah. You know, you said that you rarely write happy poems. I guess it depends on what your definition of what happy is. Because if you look at it from a black or white perspective in terms of happy on one side, sad on the other, there's a lot of room in the middle. So maybe, I know for me, happiness is not always Walt Disney. It's just being able exactly. to say that I had a good day, you know? Yeah, that's true. I think I, I have an insecurity about that. I don't want people okay. to receive me in a, I don't want people to perceive me in a wrong way. My mom used to always say, oh, why do you like so heavy? She didn't want to look at it, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Not because mm-hmm. she wasn't proud of me. She just she couldn't get me wild white like that. And I tell her all the time, I said, it's not a bad thing, Mama, because I'm I'm a happy person. I'm so freaking goofy, you know what I'm saying? I right. love to laugh. I'm, I'm a nature person. I love to be in nature. I enjoy um, my family, and I, I enjoy being around people for just the time. Mm-hmm. But But when I write, I tell people it's another language. You want another plane for me. It's coming from the deepest part of you. Not your right. soul, not your flesh, but your spirit, spiritual consciousness. That's where it's coming from. And God, God calls us. In well, I was going to say, it sounds like you're saying that you no longer, you don't wear a mask when you're writing. No, at all. Exactly. Mm-hmm. When I'm writing, I'm, I'm all together who I am for real when I'm writing. You get to see now, who I am. You, mm-hmm. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Please continue. You get to see Nicole. This is Nicole mm-hmm. when I write. What do you think your work conveys about being human? What are you saying about being human in your writing? It's okay to be people. It's okay. I think nowadays, I tell people all the time, I say, why is it not okay to be hurt sometimes. Why is it not okay to be sad sometimes? I think we walk around putting on a facade that we always strong. You get what I'm saying? Like yes. it, it, it it baffles me. My grandma used to, I used to when I when I was younger, I was the crybaby of the family. And if my my other family listening, which I'm pretty sure they are, I was mm-hmm. the crybaby of the family. It's like, oh you're a crybaby, you're a crybaby and I remember my grandma was my best friend. She really was and I miss her. And she used to always say, Nicole, don't never allow anybody to stop you from crying. God blessed you with them tears. That's from your soul. She said, I wish I could pour out who I am like like you do. They'll never stop it. And when my grandma gave me that permission, her God's permission, it, it, it stopped me from being scared to be emotional because I'm an emotional person. I'm okay. People know I wear, wear my emotion. Now I balance it out now because people mm-hmm. can take advantage of it. Now yeah. that I stop being a people pleaser, I got a balance. Because at first I wasn't. I mm-hmm. didn't have that. I used to just mm-hmm. let people run me over. And I knew it was wrong. But, um, yeah, I just think people nowadays are scared to be transparent. You know, 
scared to say, that hurt. Why did you do that? You shouldn't have did that. I didn't like that. And I'm that type of person. And I share my ups and my downs. If I'm having a good day, you don't know it. If I'm having a bad day, you don't know it because that's human. You live in this human life. And like I tell a lot of Christians, like, man, you ain't stepped in the pearly gates yet. You, you, you go up. God said many are the trials and tribulations of the righteous, but he delivers us out of all. If you read the story of Joseph, think about what Joseph went through. Oh, my God. From rejection to being lied on. I mean, even to the point that his brothers didn't want to kill him. Jealousy, all of that. Look at Solomon. Solomon, in the word of God, boy, he expresses himself. I love the book of Solomon. Oh, my God, is it sacred. The book of Ecclesiastes, Proverbs. It's the emotional book. The stories are emotional. So I just think we need to see the humans out of it. And I think people look at Christianity like it's a powerhouse. No, you have your ups and you have your downs. You get what I'm saying? You're not reading the word of God right because it, it tells you about the good and bad. Even God said he was mad. Even it says Jesus well. You know, and I'm not the one to be scared. I, I, everybody knows. Oh, I'm having a bad day. I don't want to talk. I, today I need to cry because I need to get this out of me. Or I'm I'm, in, I'm shutting down all day because I got to write. I got some emotions that I have to put on this with, with pen and paper. I need to talk about it and write about it. So I think. So how would you classify? How would you classify your ability to write as a creative gift or creative art? I know you say you speak in metaphors, and that's a poetic modality. How would you classify your ability to write? Maybe it's a combination. I don't know. Creativity. Ask me the question again. Just ask the question yes. again. Um, How would you classify your ability to write? Is it a creative gift or a creative art in terms of training? I- I think it's a greater gift. I think my writing is getting better and better. The more I'm not so scared in that I right. hear it. So I think it's mm-hmm. a greater, a greater gift. And I think it's an art. How so? Talk to me. Because like the one poem about frenemies, and like I see poems in colors too. Like green means envy. I, red means war. Black means hate. And when I express about the tongue and the eyes, the face is red and the eyes is green and the tongue is black. Hate, envy in the eyes, hate in the tongue, war in the face. You know what I'm saying? So yes. I think it's an art, too. Well, you know, one of my questions is, what color is poetry? It's very colorful. How so? Man. Um. I think words give color. Even words words can give black color for sadness. Uh, it can give a blue color for warmness. You know, if you have like a a warm form, and the blue to me is I my favorite color is blue because it makes me it eases me, it's comfortable, it's relaxing. So, I think words is color. Right. If I explain that right, mm-hmm. you did. You know, we've reached my favorite part of the program. I view it as being a mini poetry concert. This is an opportunity for you, Nicole, to share three or four of your works back-to-back, no interruptions from me. You're on the stage. Okay. Empathy versus apathy. I'm fighting to remain apathetic 
but apathy is showing its tail like an intellectual without a soul that prides education over compassion. So I'm agitated because I find myself rubbing shoulders and trading smiles with apathy all day long to my surprise. If I walk out the front door of my home, it's there. If I go up the street around the corner, it is there. I even saw it on rooftops and hiding in bushes and in places that it should never be allowed access to. I'm trying to guard my heart against the strong winds that seem to be blowing in my state that seem to be blowing in, blowing in my space and waves, causing my heart to feel hard and cold because apathy is out of control and bold. I'm scared because I feel the battle in my thoughts convincing my heart to agree to feel justified at the re- at these reoccurring feelings of rage against apathy. Why can't I be the vigilant vigilante for empathy? But is that not how the apathetic is? Feeling justified outside of rim compassion, acting as a vigilante. So I'm refusing to even attach myself in such a manner that is so callous towards my mercy and grace that I'm going to need desperately one day. My empathy will destroy apathy one day, for I know how to repay evil with good. Lord, please keep God in my heart. Pretenders. Pretenders often wait to see with concerning eyes and smiles what your end going to be. Yet at, close, yet at a closer glance, it's really grimacing. The eyes tells it all. The eyes are the gateways to the soul. Parent is not at all. Yet what is, not is. The sermon exposes what is beneath the surface. Like Grandma used to say, hush, child, watch and pray. God will expose the day. The end. One more. I want to read this question. It's called Polyamorous Union. I prayed for us yesterday to be released from that beast that walked hidden with sweet kisses and a warm embraces. Tried tying us into knots and tangling our souls into confusion while causing blindness in the noonday. So that we cannot see his many attachments, just our very own. Fooling us to believe the lies of oneness, two becoming one, just us two and us alone. He and I, just like you were so deeply deceived to believe. Yet we have laid sensuously with each other's spirit unaware. He has violated us. He has manipulated our souls into a polyamorous union. Our souls tied to him, his, leaving us tied down with strongholds. No one can hear our spirits cry rape. It even took me time to hear my spirit cry out for the Lord's help. This succubus enjoys sipping us slowly like one of his favorite drinks because it gives him so much energy, like a Mountain Dew. I just want to be free. And I want you just as free as me, too. I took my rose-colored glasses off just the other day. That's how I found strength to pray. So I will continue to pray for us. Pray for us to be released from that beast that walks hidden and sweet kisses and warm embraces. His sheep clothing seemed to fit him so well. The end. That was an entanglement, and you didn't even know. And I tell people I should be scared to share that poem because I didn't want, you know, people do all kinds of things nowadays. That's their thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like polyamorous. I didn't want them to think it was a physical thing. It was a spiritual thing. And I, 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 I 
women need to know, like, and men need to know what you lay with, you pick up their spirits because it's a soul tie. It's true. And, true. and you and a lot of people are in polyamorous, spiritually polyamorous unions and don't even know it, which is worse than just being in a natural polyamorous union. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because the soul tie is so deep. Mm-hmm. And that's why I wrote that. Mm-hmm. Nicole, what is a key lesson that you want listeners to take away from your work? Those out there in the world, all over the world that are listening, what's one lesson you want them to take away? Man, life is real, but you can overcome it. Like, life is so real that you can overcome it. And it's okay to go through. And it's just so much to that. It's so much today. It's, I mean, life is real. You're going to have your ups and you're going to have your downs. But the beautiful thing about it is that you can come through it because I've been there and I came through it. And I'm just here to share it with the world, you know, not just here with Kansas City, Missouri, but with the world. You know, like, hey, I'm going to overcome. I'm more than a conqueror. I've been there. And I can wait to tell about it. My friends crack me up all the time because they call me storyteller. They say, girl, you always got stories and we love to hear you tell your stories. You're a storyteller. You ain't scared. And it'd be true stories, too, that they, that's what they be saying and they enjoy it. <laughs> express you. Don't be scared to express you. You got a voice right. just like everybody else. Well, we've reached the end of our poetic journey, Nicole. Yes, sir, Dr. Ingram. <laughs> I appreciate you so much. I appreciate you, too. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. You're on the verge of superstardom. Oh, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Continue to hone your craft. (laughs) Yes, sir. Continue to get your voice out there. I'm trying to to learn haikus and different things like that, but I don't want (laughs) to remove myself from the passion. I tell people that all the time. I just want to be passionate. I want business to swallow me up. I don't want the you know, entrepreneurship to swallow me up. I don't want that. I want to write. God will give me opportunities. He will set the scene for me. Well, in terms of haikus, I want you to look up. Maybe you already know her. Her name is Kim B. Miller. And okay. to me, she's the queen of haikus, or one of the queens okay. of haikus. She's on Facebook. I want you to look her up. All right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Well, hey, well, before that, what's next for you? Where do you go from here creatively? Well, I'm working on my third book, and it is kicking my behind. I thought it would have been out. Um, I think it's going to be out by December. That the, that book is focusing on um, – well, I haven't shared the um, title with people, but I want, I want to share the title. Uh, it's called Food for Thought, Rhetorically okay. Speaking. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to – write and get better and better. This is my third book has to be better with the writing style, with, you know, revision and all that because I was new with everything else. And I still want to be self-published. I want to do it okay. all myself. Um, okay. But I want to come out with my third book and for thought for people. That's why I call the book Food for Thought. Mm-hmm. After my third book, I don't know what else. But I know I was just um, invited to speak at a woman's thing in September. I'm excited about that. Usually, like, I'll run for stuff like that. But, you know, I say I'm not running from anything. If somebody asks me to come and speak or whatever, 
uh, do it. So I'm excited about what's coming up in September. I'm speaking for a bunch of young teenagers and a bunch of women. So I got some stuff for them. So I'm excited (laughs) about that. Well, that's fantastic. (laughs) I am really proud of you. And as I said last time or somewhere along the way, I'm going to continue to follow your career because I want to see where you're headed. Where are you going? Please. Thank you. All right. I appreciate you. Ingram. All right. Yes, then. sir. All right. Have a good evening. Thank you. You too. To the listening audience, thank you for tuning in to our first ever Friday night podcast. And as I share with you every time we're together, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Good night. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.